0: voice of Whiteville. You can say that again. 103.9. Welcome to the Columbus Connection, a weekly public affairs program produced in, for, and about Columbus County, North Carolina. Now here's your host... The managing editor of Columbus County News, Jefferson Weaver.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Columbus Connection. This is Jefferson Weaver from ColumbusCountyNews.com and WTXY. Thankfully, the elections are more or less over, at least here in North Carolina. Jody Green will return to office as sheriff when he's sworn in on December 5th. Green beat out challenger Jason Souls by a wide margin in one of the nastiest campaigns we've seen in Columbus in a long time, and considering our county's history of sandpaper politics, that says something it's not our local elections to have me bothered today however what bugged me most about tuesday was the issue of abortion most of y'all likely know where i stand on abortion there's nothing more precious than a human life and nothing more helpless than an unborn child when the egg and the sperm connect life begins period now abortion has been around for thousands of years ancient europeans africans and native americans as well as asians used various plants to induce abortion They were practicing abortionists throughout Europe and the British Isles in the 18th century, but the religious awakening of the Victorian era shut those down fairly quickly. In the early 20th century, a product called Mother's Regulators were marketed as an at-home abortion remedies when abortions were not readily accessible or legal in some places. Abortion is nothing new. Turning it into a political platform, however, is a fairly recent invention, at least recent by historical standards. It's a sign of the degradation of modern society that protesters can't even get their facts straight. When the Dobbs decision overturned Roe v. Wade this summer, it turned the management of abortion back to the states. Dobbs didn't ban abortions. It wasn't an automatic death sentence for millions of women, as protesters wanted everyone to believe. It wasn't a reason for graphic, lurid signs to be shoved in the faces of children whose parents happened to choose the wrong day to visit the nation's capital. By comparison... The original Roe protesters in the 1970s on both sides were loud. They had signs, they had songs, they had slogans, they even had t-shirts. I think some even waved wire clothes hangers, a symbol of back alley abortions, while others held up dolls or real children to demonstrate that life is indeed precious at any age and stage. The Democrat Party this time around leaned heavily on abortion rights leading up to last week's elections. To hear them tell it, planned, welcomed pregnancies are rare, and every pregnancy is fraught with danger at every turn. Frankly, some of their rhetoric makes me wonder how in the world the human race has survived as long as it has, if if pregnancy is such a deadly plague on humanity. Look, if you look at the statistics, very few pregnancies are caused by the horrible acts of sex crimes. The vast majority of the time when a baby is created, there was a choice made. Choices have consequences. For what my opinion is worth, life begins at conception. God created that life. Whether the act was caused to sell to begin to form was intentional, unintentional, sinful, criminal, teenage passion, boredom, or alcohol induced or planned. That's beside the point. A human life is created at conception, period. Now, before you attack me over the minuscule number of pregnancies that are caused by raven incest, let's make it clear that even the staunchest of the baby killers agree that the majority of pregnancies are not the result of criminal behavior, but just because of unprotected sex and the situations where a crime does result in the creation of an embryo. I feel like the mother and her family have to make the choice. It shouldn't be pushed on them as a political platform. But killing a child because it will be inconvenient or because you made a bad choice or it might be less than perfect or because the man or woman were too lazy to use any of the options available to prevent an unwanted pregnancy, that's just wrong, period. The critics of the pro-life movement are quick to scream about how every single person who is against abortion should be lining up to adopt these unwanted children. I agree. But at the time, the process is heartbreakingly complex and ridiculously expensive. I have friends who've gone through it. We looked into it, since we have no children, but it's criminal on the part of the government that the courts would rather a child of a drug addict with criminal history remain with his or her crack parent than with a family that could break the cycle. That needs to be changed. But first, the lives have to be saved. Now, I find it really offensive that the so-called pro-choicers happily lump sex crimes and health conditions together. No woman asks to be raped, molested by a family member, or to have a deadly disease but equating a sex crime with a health condition is it's just not right, especially when the end goal is, let's face it, to provide an excuse for killing more unborn children. Some of y'all are going to hate on me anyway, so I'll just say that in those cases, again, the decision should be made by the parents of the child and the family. It shouldn't be a sociopolitical statement. It should be a prayed-over, thought out decision. Now, one of the biggest problems I have with pro-abortion advocates is that many of the noisiest ones insist on virtually no abortion controls whatsoever. On paper, in some states, a mother suffering through a hard labor could decide at the moment of delivery to, quote, abort her child. Some states have even tried to codify at will up to birth and partial birth abortions into law. Now, voters in at least three states last week rejected measures that would have required medical professionals to provide life-saving help for children who survived abortions. The more strident advocates insisted that this meant doctors and nurses would be put in jail for providing abortions. That's a bit of a stretch, even in an election year that resembles the really bad parts of the First World War. It's a big commitment, to say the least, to decide to carry a child to term and to bring a human being into this messed up world. We as a society have gotten more spoiled than an only grandchild spending summer with a wealthy pawpaw and maw. Folks are so used to instant gratification that the idea of preventing a pregnancy never comes to mind when they decide to have sex, or at least not very often. What's ridiculous is that there are plenty of low and no-cost options out there, in some cases just for the asking, anonymously. There's little or no excuse not to know what causes a baby to be made, and there's no excuse not to know how to prevent it. Now, the decision to have sex should be a mature one, but nobody's silly enough to think that that's ever going to be the standard. People are going to do what they will do, and sometimes that means that they're going to be babies produced. It's basic science. So if we further restrict abortions, whether through an eight-week ban or something even more stringent, what are we going to do with the resultant unwanted children, as folks like to call them? Anyone who's never, ever navigated the frustrating maze of adoption and fostering children, or anyone who has given up on the process knows how capricious the bureaucracy seems to be. The concept, is, it's valid, is to provide the best home possible for a child who has, through no fault of their own, been brought into this world. Private adoption agencies still exist that can streamline the process, but state child care officials and federal officials manage to keep a stranglehold on the whole thing. And any time a bureaucracy gets its hooks into anything, there will be growth in the bureaucracy that is often, in adverse proportion, to the level of service it was supposed to provide. I personally know folks who, when you get down to it, they technically purchased children overseas because it was so frustrating to adopt here in America. Even in one case, the child they wanted to adopt was a family member, and the mother was giving permission. It's noble to help any child, don't get me wrong, and every single one of them is precious, but it would sure be nice if the government didn't make it so unnecessarily difficult, heartbreaking, and expensive prospective parents to adopt children here at home there really is no lack of adoptive homes for young children there's always a need for foster homes but folks being able to qualify is oftentimes the problem there's plenty of folks with good homes and good hearts out there but because they might not have the right lock on a gun cabinet well they're thrown out There is a lack of homes that have managed to fight their way through a bureaucracy that has forgotten that its job was to assist children, not shuffle paperwork and guarantee job security at the taxpayer's expense. Neither side of the abortion debate has been showing all their cards. If pro-lifers like myself and many others want to see abortion strictly limited, then we have to be willing to accept aggressive pregnancy prevention classes in school. Note, sex education does not mean teaching gender reassignment and homosexuality to first graders. It doesn't mean providing elementary school kids with sexually graphic books that describe all kinds of sex acts. Sex education should first and foremost be about the prevention of disease and unwanted pregnancy in an age-appropriate setting as approved by parents. The other stuff can come later, again, with the full disclosure to the parents. Contrary to the ideas pushed by the more radical revisionist educators, children are children. They're not grown-ups who have the ability, experience, or skills to make life-changing decisions when teenage hormones are flying wild. At the same time, those who so noisily push for abortion should be ashamed. The reasons for possibly killing a child should be very few, well-defined, and not based on emotional political rhetoric. It's fascinating that the very countries held up to us as examples of how to do things better... Well, they actually regulate abortion much more strictly than the United States. Throughout this whole thing, it's been chilling to hear people refer to an unborn child as an it or a clump of cells. That's a human being that's being created. Taking that human's life, destroying that human's future, erasing that human's presence and potential from the earth is not something that should be taken lightly. We'll be right back with more of The Columbus Connection.
0: If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. 800-741-5819. 800-741-5819. That's 800-741-5819. Paid for by Legal Alert Line. Recover Now is a national campaign aimed at the education and awareness of the devastating effects of
1: opioid and heroin abuse and curbing drug and alcohol addiction in the United States. Recover Now is sponsored by treatment facilities nationwide. Many of them have been where you are and they want to help by spreading a message of hope and recovery.
0: They're working hand in hand with major insurance companies nationwide that can help you or a loved
1: one get clean in seven to thirty days. Recover Now is is embarking on a national outreach campaign on TV and radio to promote anti-addiction messages. So if you, a loved one, or someone you know has a problem with drugs or alcohol, do not wait. A new life for you could be 30 days away. Call us right now. I promise this
0: call can change your life. Sponsored by the Detox and Treatment Helpline.
1: 800-936-8071. 800-936-8071. That's 800-936-8071. And welcome back to the Columbus Connection. This is Jefferson Weaver from WTXY and ColumbusCountyNews.com coming to you this Saturday morning. Friday was Veterans Day. a day set aside to honor those who have served our country, whether in time of war or in peace. The day has its roots in Armistice Day, the day when the guns went silent and the bells rang out in Europe in 1918, marking the end of World War I. It was the day that leaders swore the horrors of war would cease, but that oath didn't last very long, humans being the contrary critters that we are. Later on, Armistice Day became Veterans Day, which was set aside to honor all those who served, not just those who fought in our wars. Now, it's not the same as Memorial Day, when we offer our nation's thanks to those who died in the service. It's it's kind of amusing how many people get mixed up about those two. It's not just a generational thing either, since I've served grown-ups who should know better, get kind of lost when trying to remember which was which. But a lack of basic history and civics and modern education, well, that's a column for another day. I'm blessed to count among my dearest friends, not just veterans, but veterans who have been there and done that in the protection of this thing we call America. I have kinfolk, quite a few of them, who have served. Some spent largely uneventful careers, while others brought home fragments of steel on their backs and demons in their heads. It's a sorry shame on our nation when so many veterans commit suicide every day. Last numbers I heard, it was something like 22, 23. It's especially bad when a lot of those deaths could be prevented with adequate mental health care. It's sad to see those who have defended our country and expected that country to keep its word seeing a lower standard of medical care than we give to convicted criminals. Now, you'll rarely, if ever, hear a veteran bellyache for very long about the broken promises that were made to them. They'll fuss amongst themselves, of course, since soldiers and sailors have done that since time immemorial, but it's not their way to worry civilians with their problems i say that we should worry there was some hope for veterans last week and that the folks who were taking their seats in raleigh washington and elsewhere have got a different perspective on the needs of veterans still there needs to be more than hope to those who stood between america and her enemies would you tolerate mold in your mother's hospital room or mercy in the air vents, or spoiled food i'm not being over dramatic folks Those are just a few of the things that I have been told of firsthand by patients and families of patients who were in Veterans Administration hospitals. Now, not all VA hospitals are third-world quality. Don't get me wrong. There is no such thing as a broad brush on this program. If you've listened to it more than twice, you know that. Now, there are quite a few facilities that truly do keep the promise made to every 18-year-old boot when he he or she signs away two, three, or five or more years of their lives. I've been privileged through friends to meet some of the dedicated VA staff who help amputees prepare for a new life, and they're as dedicated of warriors as those that they're helping. But we still don't keep every promise made to every person who joins the military, and we should. We expect them to keep theirs, namely to protect America from all enemies, foreign and domestic. I sincerely hope when the new Congress and Senate are sworn in, and the new General Assembly has finished shifting seats in the State House, the still calm voices of those who protect and have protected this democratic republic will be heard over the cacophonia of the other issues that really don't matter in the long run. Without the soldier, the sailor, the airman, the marine, the coast guardsman, we don't have a free public. Free, we don't have a free republic. We should honor our promises to those who have served, lest future generations turn down the privilege. As always, thank you for joining us today, whether you're listening on air or online at a later date. Opinions expressed here are not necessarily the views of the station or its sponsors. Dissenting opinions are so welcome that if you'll promise to debate and not cuss and fight, you're welcome to come join me here in the studio so we can talk on the air. Send me an email at jeffersonweaver at columbuscountynews.com and let's talk. For WTXY and columbuscountynews.com with the Columbus Connection, this is Jefferson Weaver.
0: This has been the Columbus Connection with Jefferson Weaver. If you have a story that you want to share with us or a comment on a previous program, you can email us at Connection at ColumbusCountyNews.com. The Columbus Connection is produced by Jones Media Partners, and the program is recorded live at the WTXY Studios in downtown Whiteville, North Carolina. Our in-studio producer is Daryl Jackson. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of the Columbus Connection. Thanks for listening.
1: Better music.
0: The voice of Whiteville.
1: Cool. All the time.
0: Cool. 103.9.